We're continuing in our series called The Buffet, The Buffet. And uh, I've got to be honest, I thought, I used to be a rugby player and I'd constantly get called nicknames, uh, which drove me crazy. And then I became a pastor and I have more nicknames than ever. The Right Reverend Reed. And one of, the, one of my names I'm really embarrassed to say is, uh, it's, I'm called the Gannet. And basically the Gannet means that if there's food lying around, I will grab it. And I'll, and I'll eat it. And, and our youth pastor, Stephen, which did a fantastic job preaching today, if you missed it, uh, that, that's on you. Uh, but he, he pointed out the buffet and he said, look at all these things you can eat. And then he said, look at this donut here. It's got a bite in it. That was me. <laughs> I just happened, it was at the online, curate online scene and there was a donut and I bit it. <laughs> Whew. Get someone to pray, get into it, a buffet. First uh, Corinthians 10, 23, it says, You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I think we all inherently understand that not all choices are even. We inherently understand that good choices lead to good consequences and bad choices lead to bad consequences. Never before has humanity had so much choice. We are literally spoilt for choice, or is the choice spoiling us? When I think of a buffet, I think of Valentine's, the restaurant. <laughs> when I was growing up, we used to go to Valentine's annually, and uh, it was a really special occasion. I'm one of five boys, and any time, dinner time was basically like a bunch of hyenas around a carcass at the best of times. But when we got to Valentine's, it just added like urgency and velocity to our eating, and uh, they would never make any money out of us. You can go to Valentine's even now. Uh, you can get, uh, I think it's $38 all you can eat, so that's a good deal. Uh, Valentine's, and, and just, man, I, I remember just thinking, this is amazing when we started off, just being able to help myself to all the different array of food, but in the end, what was a great blessing often turned out to be a great curse, just overeating, and what I've realized is that what's true of the buffet and true of having so many choices, what can be a great blessing can actually be a great curse in the end. Gen Z's, Millennials in the room, you've just got so many choices. And I don't know about you, but for myself, finding all these different choices available to me can actually leave me a little bit like I've got decision fatigue. I can find myself at times just thinking, man, there's just so many choices here. I'm just actually fatigued by the number of choices. Or I can find myself constantly trying to find the best choice that I actually find myself paralyzed, not knowing what choice to take. That the array of choices of constantly having the best choice available is actually overwhelming at times and can leave us just in a state of paralyzation. We don't know what step to take, where to go, what decision to make. And what can start as a great blessing can be a great curse in having so many choices. I looked up, there's an app you can download. There's 500,000 different people you can look to date on an app. 
500,000 people just in New Zealand that you can look to date. For me, when I was looking to date, there wasn't a lot of choices like that. <laughs> Thankfully for me, because that meant my wife didn't have a lot of choices. <laughs> and my wife is actually best friends with my cousin because she didn't have a lot of choices, right? I was the cousin, anyway, the best friend of the cousin, yeah. And uh, I was pleased about that, that she didn't have a lot of choices because she chose me. Good choice. I took a friend for a coffee just the other day, and, uh, and I said, mate, I'll show you a coffee. I said, what would you like? He said, I would like a decaf, flat white, with oat milk. I'm like, what is that? That's not even, that's not a coffee. That is not a coffee. Oat milk, how do you milk an oat? I mean, like at least get, yeah. 30 years ago, someone asked you for a coffee, right? 30 years ago, someone asked you for a coffee, the only choices you had would be to have it with either milk or sugar. Espresso, macchiato, cappuccino. Mm, love a long black. Anyway, so many choices, so many choices. It's interesting because with all these choices, as I mentioned, we, we can often face decision fatigue. We can be paralyzed by indecision. And perhaps we're constantly switched on trying to find the best possible choice. But I think the greatest danger we face right now, the greatest danger you and I face, is that we'll actually choose the good over the great. What I think will happen, what I think is happening, is that for many of us here, we are living really good lives. Now, I'll be honest and say that for some of us, we're actually going through hard things, and life may not be good at all. It may be bad. But for many of us, our lives are actually really good. That actually we're making good choices, and we're living good lives, but we're not actually living great lives. What I think is that for many of us here, we may have chosen good places to study. We may have chosen a good flat to live in. We may have chosen some good friends. We may have chosen a good career. We may have chosen a good church to come to. We may have chosen a good time to serve. We may have chosen these good things, but we're actually missing the great thing that God has for you. I think there's actually something inside each and every one of us that if we're truly honest, at times there's a sense of frustration, there's a sense of discontent that there actually has to be more for us. That actually, yeah, we've, we've, we, we might have been on a good holiday and we might be looking at being able to go on a good holiday. We might be looking and going, you know what, actually my life is pretty good. But the danger is that we will settle for good and we will miss the great. The enemy of the good is not the bad. The enemy of the good is actually the great. We think, if I get that good home, if I get that good retirement fund, if I get some good toys to play with, get a new jet ski, a new surfboard, 
We can find ourselves living this good life, but as I mentioned, actually missing out on the great life that God has intended for us to live. How do we truly make great choices that will enable us to live the great lives that he's actually called you and I to live? How do we live in such a way to make choices that would bring about greatness and not just a good life? How do we do that? What does that look like? In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, there's a story of Jesus and his disciples entering a home. Luke chapter 10, verse 38, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha, Martha, opened her home to him. That's a good thing she did. Good on you, Martha. She had a sister called Mary, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted. And the original Greek word of distracted is actually to have many different focuses of what, at one time. What, what Jesus, what's happening here is Martha has many different focuses all at the one time. She was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? She's quite accusatory, Martha. Lord, don't you care that my sister, sister, has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Tell her, Jesus. Yeah. I'm with Martha. Who's with Martha? She's doing some good things here. Jesus says, Martha, Martha. In other versions, he says, dear Martha. He's compassionate. He's gentle with Martha. He says, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. <laughs> Jesus is like, there's a few things that are needed, actually only one Martha, and Mary has chosen what is better, and he's gentle, and he's kind, and he's loving towards Martha. But I think it's so, it's a difficult situation because what Martha is doing is a really good thing. She's preparing everything for these 12 hungry disciples and Jesus, and perhaps a few hangers on. And she's getting, she's draining the blood from the meat because that's what they did back then and she's salting the meat and she's getting a salad and she's probably getting some wine ready and she's cleaning up and she's invited Jesus into her home. She's doing a really, really good thing. But the crazy part is that Jesus says no. Mary's just sitting there listening and she's chosen the better thing. But man, I, I, I imagine that with all of the... Uh, traditional contextual pressures that Martha is feeling to have to provide and do all this and do the right thing and do a good thing and make a good meal, that surely Mary must be experiencing that as well, right? 
Surely she must be experiencing that. And then to have an accusation by her sister, like, what are you doing? I think it's interesting because when I considered the story and looked at it and applied it to my own life, what I realized is that Martha had an opinion of what Mary should be doing. But Mary, she had a conviction about what she would be doing. And I want to say tonight, in a world awash with opinions, we need to be a people who live by conviction. That man, there's just opinions about everything out there about what you should do and how you should live and what you should believe. Opinions, opinions, opinions. But man, where's the convictions? We need to be less opinionated and more convictionated. Is that a word? I don't know. Man, there's just so many. Let, let me say this. Let me say this. We all hold opinions, but it's convictions that hold you. We all hold opinions, but it's a conviction that will hold you. And I want to say tonight, man, with all that's going on in our world, all that you are facing right now, we need to be people of conviction and less of opinion. Hayden, how does this work in practical terms? I do have an answer. (laughs) What will happen when we become more convictionated? (laughs) That's going to be a word. And less opinionated. When we become more convictionated, what will happen is that our choices will be predetermined. Making the hard choices easier and the easy choices harder. Our choices will be predetermined, making the hard choices easier and the easy choices harder. Growing up, growing up in my family, finances were not always that great. Actually, oftentimes there were very little finances available to feed the five hungry hyenas. And I remember one week, this conversation between my mum and my dad, and my mum, in her opinion to my dad, she said, honey, my mum was an amazing woman, a godly woman, a wonderful woman. But in her opinion to my dad, she said, she said, look, we cannot afford to give this week. The finance is not going to cut it. We can't afford to give. And my dad, I'll never forget it, what he said back in his conviction. He said back to my mom, he said, we cannot afford not to give this week. And so they, they carried on. They gave every single week to the local church that we were a part of. And I remember being shocked by it because I'm like, we can't afford it. But he was like, we can't afford not to do it. We can't afford not to give. And I want to tell you today that my dad has continued to live a more and more and generous life. My mum has passed away and she lived a generous life too. But from out of that, that one conviction, my dad is living a great life. My dad has blessed him like nothing else. He didn't give to be blessed. But he's been blessed like nothing else. And he lives almost every, like he lives just constantly giving generously, making a difference to people in need. Because he's got a conviction. And, he, and it overrode, overrode the opinion. Uh, in, my, in my small group just the other week, there was a, there was a, there was a guy that turned up and, 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 and he had predetermined 
He had this conviction. He had this predetermined choice because of a conviction that he would remain celibate until the time that he was married. That he, he, was, gonna, he was not going to be involved in any sexual relationships until he was married. He's a tradie. And man, he said he has faced massive persecution. He, has, he said they constantly make fun of me. They, they give me a hard time. But he said that one conviction to remain celibate until the point of marriage, he said, has given me so many opportunities to share my faith. And he said it's so real to them. He said, in their opinion, they're like, come on, man, what are you doing? Don't worry about that. Come on, live like this. And in his conviction, he's like, no, I will not live like that. I choose to honor God, put him first. And his predetermined decision has made the hard decision easy. He's not giving, he didn't, he hasn't given up his virginity. It didn't. I think that was pretty obvious, Hayden. You didn't need to say that word. Virginity. Hey. Virginity. Why did I say that? It was obvious. Let's just take a micro pause. Thanks, Connor. Thanks, Connor. The second thing I want to say about living a life of conviction over opinion is that we will make great choices from approval, not choices for approval. That when we live with a conviction like Mary to choose the one thing which is Jesus, and that when she chose that, that was her conviction over the opinion of Martha, that when she chose that conviction, she was living it from approval of her Messiah, Jesus, not over the approval of all these people in the room. A great example of this, and she may be embarrassed about this, but her name is Brie Mulford. She's here in the front. Now, what I want you to know about Brie is that she's a young adult. She's young. And her life is centered around serving and putting God first in everything she does. Every Sunday morning, she is here helping check people into the kids' church. Now, I'm sure, and she hasn't said this to me, but I'm sure there may be opinion of others that would say, Brie, come on, let's get to the mountain. Let's go snowboarding. Bree, come on. Let's go to the beach. Bree, Bree, do this other stuff. Do this other stuff. But because of her approval of her master, when, when she serves with conviction every single week, she does it from a place of approval, not for approval. And I can tell because she does it with joy. Man, she's smiling. She's laughing. She, she, she shines Jesus. Stand up, Bree, so we can clap you properly. Come on, Bree. Come, this is Bree. She is a woman of great conviction, living out her faith and serving from approval, not for the approval of others, from the approval of Jesus. And man, you are a gift. 
could keep talking about you, but I'll stop there. (laughs) The third thing and the final thing is that when we live with conviction and not from opinion, we will live with great purpose. We will live for the line and not for the dot. We will live for the line and not for the dot. That the end of our life, when we pass from this to the next one, the Bible's really clear that there will be a reward on what you did with your life. There will be a reward. And tonight, I want to say, we should be, we need to be a people who live for the lion for all of eternity, not for the dot that is found in this moment. Not for the comfort, not for the pleasures, not for the stuff we can get out of it, but what we can actually sow into for eternity. Infinity. Is it really hard to comprehend? I know. But man, let's stop living for the stuff, for the dot, for the now, for this earth. But let's live with conviction that there is an eternal reward waiting on the other side and that we, what we do right now matters for eternity. Let's live with that conviction. I went to a funeral this week, and uh, it's just interesting that Nathan Pratt happens to be sitting next to Bree. But, but Nathan, a great man, used to be a, a, our intermediate Ignite pastor here and just a, just a wonderful human being. And, and his mum passed away earlier this week, and, and here he is in the front row. He's not angry with God. He's loving God. But his mum, Deirdre, she lived for the lion, not for the dot. She gave up her life for her family. She gave up her life for this church, for the community. She gave up her life for Jesus. She lived with the conviction that she was living for eternity, not for a dot. And so when I went to her funeral, it was the most inspirational hour and a half of my life because she lived with such a conviction that she was living for the there and not the now. for the near, not the, the there, not the now, for the there. <laughs> One of the things she said, the stories are told about her, there was a Bible scholar guy who was a friend of Deirdre's and he came back from Bible college and uh, arrived and he had all these theories and ideas and opinions and uh, Deirdre said to him, man, you got to get that out of your head and into your heart. You got to get that out of your head and into your heart. She was saying, you need to stop living by an opinion and start living with a conviction. Stop living with theories and ideologies and what could be and start living with action. Turn that faith into action with conviction.